The Korean art market is in the midst of a really unprecedented expansion. From 2020 to 2021, there was an increase of 280% in total sales, which it's really hard to even believe. We have to also keep in mind where it started, which was not that big. So as with any sort of new endeavor, a lot of the times the sort of first few years are really sharp expansion, and then it sort of levels out as things adjust to maybe international standards. Hi, I'm Andrew Goldstein, and this is The Art Angle, a podcast from Artnet News where the art world meets the real world, bringing each week's biggest story down to earth. Last week, the art industry descended on Seoul, South Korea for the inaugural edition of the Freeze Art Fair's first Asian event. It was a major affair packed with K-pop celebrities and six-figure sales that marked yet another peak for the Korean art scene, which seems to be heading along a never-ending upward spiral. Installed next to the stalwart Kiaf Fair at the formidable Coex Convention Center, and not far away from the smaller satellite fair focused on new media called Kiaf Plus, this first year for the combined trio of fairs was a runaway success story. At Freeze, 110 galleries participated, drawing in the Western art world to this major Asian capital city, which is bolstered by a flourishing art community and a ripe art market, and also appealing to the Korean collector scene, which is rapidly growing in power. To color the picture from the ground, our Europe editor, Kate Brown, spoke with Seoul-based curator and critic Andy St. Louis, an insider to the art scene who has been based in Seoul for more than 10 years. St. Louis is the sole desk editor at Art Asia Pacific and a contributing editor at Art Review Asia, and you can also catch his byline on Artnet News. In 2018, he founded Seoul Art Friend, an online platform dedicated to promoting contemporary Korean art, which you can access at soulartfriend.com or on Instagram and Facebook. He is currently writing a survey of emerging and mid-career artists that is due to be published in summer of 2023. Here, in the episode that follows, Andy and Kate debriefed on the goings-on around South Korea's major launch into the international art scene and discuss what opportunities and challenges lay ahead as Seoul continues to transform itself into a major art world hub. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Andes. Nice to have you on the podcast. I hope you're keeping dry and safe in the midst of what I heard is a raging typhoon in Seoul right now. Yeah, it came down pretty biblically the last few days, but today was beautiful, some nice fall weather. Everyone's recovering from the frenzy of Freeze Art Fair. Moods are high. Everyone's uh, kind of coming down off of what was really a quite exciting week. Great. And I feel like a typhoon is a nice dramatic end to it all. So before we get into it, I wanted to just start with you for any of our listeners who have not read your byline before or heard you on a podcast before. You've been working professionally from South Korea for more than a decade. But tell me, where are you from originally? How did you end up living and working in Seoul particularly? I'm from Southern California originally. I first came to Korea in 2009 in the midst of the economic recession, having graduated from college with an art history degree and having my options really curtailed by the economic realities of the time. But after getting my bearings and sort of settling down in Seoul, my eyes were really opened to the country's impressive contemporary art scene. So it was obviously slightly smaller back then, but it was still very active with major domestic galleries shaping the direction of the art market. Also significant biennales in Gwangju, Busan, and Seoul serving as platforms of exchange between Korean and international artists. And also what really struck me at the time was this very robust network 
of alternative and artist-run spaces, which catered to the sort of more experimental and emerging segment of the local art ecosystem. So over the past more than a decade, I've watched the contemporary art scene in Seoul continue to grow as a journalist and an art critic. And in 2018, I started the online platform Seoul Art Friend in response sort of to the building momentum and market attention that Korea was beginning to garner in national art circles and also among the local art community as well. Wow. Okay. So you sound like you're in the right place at the right time because it's boom time in Korea right now, especially when it comes to the art market. So last week we had the first ever free Seoul, and then there was a new Kia Fair and of course the stalwart original Kia Fair. There was a lot of anticipation ahead of this, of course, but I'm wondering what it was actually like. So how did this official birth of the so-called international art market in Korea go? What was the mood on the ground last week? By all accounts, the fair was a really huge success. Tickets were completely sold out, which is sort of par for the course with a freeze art fair. But there were around 70,000 visitors that have been reported. And it was definitely a bit of a hectic run-up to the opening because exhibitors were only given a single day for installation. So everyone was kind of running around trying to get everything together. But from what I've been able to gather, visitors and exhibitors alike were really favorably impressed by the overall presentation of the fair. So it took place in COEX, which is the name of Seoul's massive convention center. But the overall feel of the fair was still very elegant. It didn't have any sort of sterile convention center vibe. The booths were really sizable. There was a lot of sort of breathing room in the wide corridors between rows of gallery stands. And the show was separated into two adjacent halls. The front one had, I guess, about 80 galleries in a sort of normal setup. And then the second smaller hall had Freeze Masters over to one side with the sort of typical Freeze Masters style booths with the sort of ceiling scrims and uh, a little bit more elegant museum presentations. And then on the other side, you had just the normal booths. You had Bogosian and Gladstone and Ropak big galleries back in that section as well. So in total, there were about a dozen Korean galleries that took part among 110 galleries total. And that included two young galleries in Seoul that participated in the fair's Focus Asia sector, which is curated by a Korean curator and also Christopher Liu. And then two more established Korean galleries were also in the Freeze Masters sector. So Korea was pretty well represented throughout. There was a robust talks program that took place on-site, and there was also a film program held at two off-site venues. And I think both of those were mostly attended by the local art community. The film program was organized jointly by Kyopo, which is a nonprofit organization in Los Angeles, supporting artists and other creative professionals, and also a curatorial collective here in Seoul called WES, which is very well regarded. In terms of the general mood, Everyone seemed very upbeat and very excited about the fair, but also about sort of being in Seoul in general. You know, I think for a lot of foreign gallerists, it was their first time visiting the city. And I kept hearing people gush about the energy on the ground and really looking forward to the promise of greater things yet to come as the country's art market continues to open up. Wow, so much going on. I'm curious, how did the attention get split between all the fairs? Because, of course, Kiev has always been there. 
But now there was there's 110 minus the 12 new galleries. How did Freeze and Kia fit together in the end? And how was the attention split between them? My colleague Vivian Chow, who was on the ground, reported that actually Kiev participants were quite unhappy and that the energy at Kiev was not the same as in previous years, that Freeze stole the show. Both fairs were held concurrently at COEX with Freeze upstairs and Kiev downstairs. And VIPs were able to use their passes to access both fairs, but I believe for regular day passes, they were separate tickets. Just a little background on Kiev. It's been around for, I think, 21 years now. It's the country's sort of premier art fair. In addition to its main event this year of over 160 galleries, it also launched a satellite fair this year called Kiaf Plus, which had an additional 70 galleries, I think, in a smaller, older, separate convention center about 10 minutes down the street. So I think having Freeze and Kiaf at the same place was a very appealing proposition for local collectors this kind of one-stop shop that's very convenient and very efficient, especially in a huge city like Seoul, where getting from place to place is not always that straightforward. But it also means that it was a lot easier to make comparisons between them. And I think in that kind of calculation, Freeze was at a major advantage for a couple of reasons. Kiev is organized by the Galleries Association of Korea, which has at least 100 probably hundreds of member galleries. And so the fair caters to these member galleries, which means applications are a little bit less selective than international art collectors might be accustomed to for a major art fair. A lot of these galleries operate at a much smaller scale and work with artists that have very little appeal beyond the local art community. So for international collectors who visited both fairs, I think that A lot of the work on view at Kiev probably seemed quite provincial and out of touch with contemporary art trends globally. In terms of the actual presentation, the overall production quality was much better at Freeze. At Kiev, I noticed little things, you know, just the seams between the wall panels were not that flush. The carpets were not that well-fitting. It was very cramped and squeezed together, and it was just not as pleasant of an experience. As for overlap between the fairs, I think that the majority of VIPs probably did not venture beyond the friendly confines of Freeze and the glasses of champagne that were flowing during the uh, VIP opening. But I know that local audiences definitely took advantage of the opportunity to see both fairs. And I think that's a valid plus on the whole for the inaugural edition of this sort of cooperation between these two fairs. We have to also consider that there is this very large art community here and significant local interest. And the fair does not just serve the international collectors who fly in or advisors or whoever to take in the VIP opening, go to a few parties and then jet out. So I think collector attention was mostly on freeze. I can understand why some exhibitors may have felt a little bit shortchanged by being in Kiev, but for the audience, I think it was really a great opportunity. Hmm. It'll be really interesting to see how that develops next year as these two entities get to know each other. 
You mentioned just before that it's not too straightforward to get around. I wasn't personally in Seoul, but everybody's social media stories that I was watching, I really noticed that people seemed lost. And then I heard from some of my colleagues that Google Maps doesn't work. The local map app is in Korean. So yeah, there was a little bit of a lost in translation vibe. How much does that impression match the picture? And I'm curious what you think will happen in the long run there, because that's obviously a little bit prohibitive, right, to the development of an international market? Yeah, it can be. You know, just like any city, Seoul has its idiosyncrasies. The map thing is definitely true. The memes from the Jerry Gagosian Instagram account were very much on point. Google Maps doesn't really work here. And Uber even is still sort of in its infancy. So there was definitely a lot of anxiety about catching cabs and dealing with traffic. But Freeze actually did a pretty good job of at least trying to mitigate the chaos by coordinating with local galleries to plan their openings and parties so that people could basically head to a certain neighborhood one night and a different neighborhood the next night and still be able to find lots to do without having to sort of schlep across the city or plan out these intricate timed out itineraries. So in addition to that, most of the international galleries brought on temporary staff from the local community who helped obviously with communicating with local collectors at their stands, as well as organizing transportation and other essentials for the gallery staff that flew in for the fair. So that made things a bit easier from the exhibitor standpoint. As for the art advisors and the collectors in town for the fair, I'm sure there was quite a lot of frustration at not being able to get a taxi quickly and not really knowing what is the travel time between their various meetings or studio visits or events. You know, I think after a few days, a lot of those people figured out how to operate despite those challenges. And I think everyone accomplished what they came here to do in the end. Is it as straightforward as it might be in Hong Kong? I don't think so. The language barrier is definitely there. But Seoul and Korea in general has a lot more English ability, I would say, than most places in Asia that I've been. You can get by pretty much doing anything you need, at least using the Translate app on your phone or something like that. It's not prohibitive, I don't think. And for anyone expecting to operate as they would in uh, New York or London, that's just unrealistic. Overall, I think people figured things out and they're able to deal with those hurdles. Right. Unrealistic and also a bit presumptuous, I guess. <laughs> we could say that. So let's pan out a bit. I'm curious, from your experience of having lived there for over a decade, why is this happening right now in Seoul? Why is it happening now, not five years ago, not five years from now? The Korean art market is in the midst of a really unprecedented expansion. From 2020 to 2021, there was an increase of 280% in total sales, which it's really hard to even believe. But you have to also keep in mind where it started, which was not that big. So as with any sort of new endeavor, a lot of the times, the sort of first few years are really sharp expansion. And then it sort of levels out as things adjust to maybe international standards. We're already on pace to surpass last year's total, especially with the influx of sales from Free Soul. And so we'll definitely increase over last year. But keep in mind, even compared to Hong Kong, it's still relatively small. I mean, total sales this year will probably be about 1 billion US dollars. 
why is it happening now? There's been an influx of younger collectors. There have been a steady arrival of international galleries, beginning with the likes of Perotan and Pace and Lehman Mopen some six years ago, and then others following in their wake, mostly from the United States, but increasingly from Europe as well. And the local auctions are also becoming more active. Christie's and Sotheby's and other international auction houses have yet to stake their claim here, but the domestic auctions just keep on selling. And that stimulates a lot of the market, keeps a lot of the collectors able to find what they want. We have to also consider the overall appeal of Korean culture worldwide. I'm not going to say that a contemporary artist is anywhere on the same level as BTS or Squid Game, but there is definitely an overlap in cultural fascination that is just mainstream at this point around the world. And that drove a lot of excitement from the international art dealers who really wanted to come and see what's going on and what's it all about here in Seoul. As you said at the beginning, it's definitely a boom time for the art world, but it's a boom time for Korean cultural exports in general. Obviously very exciting for myself and other people in this community, but it's definitely been building for a number of years. And the international galleries coming, I think, signaled what was about to come and what is finally coming to pass now. In what ways is the government incentivizing this for everyone? In terms of the commercial art world, there's no direct incentives for art galleries, but there is an implicit sort of stimulus for the art market by virtue of the Korean tax law, which has uh, no VAT and no import tax on artworks, which is comparable to Hong Kong, obviously. It's very advantageous for overseas galleries looking to introduce their international roster to the local market. There's no prohibitive factor for bringing in show after show after show of their American and European and global artists. So that's a huge stimulus, definitely. But the government also supports the local art community in a really significant way, especially when you consider the size of the country. It's a country of 50 million people, half of which live in and around Seoul. And the amount of support, it's essential. And it's what has allowed the art market and the art world here to develop to this point, because Seoul did not just emerge out of nothing as a viable sort of art market hub. It's been since the late 90s when the Gwangju Biennale started, funded by municipal funding. You have the Busan Biennale, the Seoul Media City Biennale, Korean Pavilion at the Venice Biennale. These are all funded through public money. But really a significant proportion of that funding goes to artists and art spaces directly, which allows for a much broader range of individuals to present exhibitions and undertake projects that they might not otherwise be able to. And whether it's allocated by the federal government or by the municipal government, these funds are really essential for artists more on the emerging end of the spectrum who might not otherwise be able to sustain their careers after graduating from art school. 
it sort of takes care of them or can take care of them for the first eight or 10 years and allow them to really develop and find an audience and find their vision for what they're creating. So support is strong across the board and the galleries certainly benefit from these tax policies. Wow, that sounds like such a winning combo. I feel like most other art hubs have one or the other in terms of tax friendliness or state funding, but it's rare to get both. <laughs> Pivoting back to what you're mentioning about the top tier expat dealers, Tadeus Ropak, Galerie Kuhnig, Prez Projects, Pace, Paratay, as you mentioned, they've all opened outposts in the city. I'm curious what your projection is. Are there more to come or do you think that this is sort of the peak of it? And I'm curious how fierce the competition really is within the soul scene, like outside of the fair. I do think that more will come. You know, we're currently in sort of the second wave of arrivals with Ropak leading the way, but also Gladstone, very small fires. The success of Freeze is going to bring a lot more attention to the possibility of opening here. I think most foreign galleries did very well at the fair. I think most, if not all, will try to come back next year. And as they build relationships and as they continue to place works here, I think the possibility of opening a space becomes a lot more realistic. I think the demand among local collectors is there. I think the city can accommodate more international galleries that will arrive in the next few years. Keep in mind, it's still less than 10 international galleries, whereas Hong Kong at its peak must have had at least twice or three times that. So there's definitely competition between the local galleries and the newcomers from abroad. I think the local galleries, if they're not feeling it now, they will begin to feel it in the next few years. But I think we're still pretty far from the sort of saturation point in terms of foreign galleries. I think ultimately competition, it's a double-edged sword. It has its advantages and its disadvantages. I think in the long term, it's just like any international art scene. A balance has to be struck between the domestic galleries and the international galleries. As for right now, I think we're still quite a ways off from being forced to sort of find that balance. And a lot of you know international art dealers see Seoul as a land of opportunity in a lot of ways, and also a land where they can sort of plant their flag and really have a serious presence here, which is much different than they might have even in Hong Kong. They can really command more of the local collector base here just by virtue of the fact that there's less international competition thus far. Right. Okay. So it sounds like for now, it's kind of all rosy, but I can imagine as well that on a local level, there is a bit of concern already about the influx. Has anyone been expressing that in local media or, you know, gossiping around about that? No one will go on the record <laughs> and say anything about that. And I've asked on numerous occasions over the past few years. I think until now, it hasn't been present in anyone's mind. You know, before Freeze happened and before these galleries are in the same room as Gagosian and Zwerner and Hauser and Wirth, I think it still seemed like maybe it's all going to work and we're all going to play fair in this little sandbox here. But I think after Freeze, concerns will be mounting. But 
from where I stand, I see it ultimately as an important step, not just for the market, but also for the local art community. Korea has a really strong sort of aesthetic sensibility, a really strong appreciation for culture and for art especially. And the local artist community is really, really serious, really strong, really thriving. And, you know, I see the potential for access to so many more international artists to be showing here as a huge benefit to the future of contemporary art in Korea, as these students and young artists are exposed to more and more great work face-to-face and not just through Instagram or through their computers. So looking forward in terms of the art itself, I think it bodes well for what may be down the pipeline for contemporary Korean art. Hmm. A lot of the Western press has been sort of framing this as a Seoul versus Hong Kong thing. You mentioned Hong Kong briefly just before. Is this reductive? I'm curious. Do you think that Asia is able to support more than one art hub? It's too soon to say, definitely. And everyone has this question. I think that after Free Seoul, people are taking the Korean art market much more seriously. And Seoul definitely presents a very attractive alternative to Hong Kong. Obviously, Free Seoul is sort of the first major fair to be opened at its full capacity since COVID. Even Art Basel Hong Kong this year was reduced. Hong Kong has been the dominant regional center for contemporary art for over a decade. You have international auction houses that are really firmly entrenched there that really allow that art market to continue to grow through their access to just the throngs of collectors from mainland China. But I don't think anyone is going to displace Hong Kong, at least not in the short term. I think Seoul has a head start over other cities in the region, but I don't know if it's really constructive to think about it in terms of there has to be one sort of chief and other sort of sub cities in the region. I think there's enough market interest in Asia to support significant fairs in many different cities, Art SG in Singapore, and there's a new fair in Tokyo as well coming next year. So I think the next few years will be really interesting to watch. I think a lot of people, collectors, curators, museum professionals will definitely want to be there to see how these various fairs shape up. But I think for now, no one's really in a position to speculate one way or the other about Seoul versus Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. So to wrap up, what were some of the biggest takeaways for you this past week? And what are you looking forward to for next year? One of the biggest things that impressed me was just the number of people that flew in for this event. There was some talk of conflict with Labor Day weekend in the United States and how that may hamper some people from coming over. But at the VIP opening in Freeze, everyone was speaking English. It was really very international. And obviously it wasn't just foreigners who were there, but lots of Koreans also maybe forced to speak English in public in a way that they might not have before. But just the number of people that came in for the event and especially curators and museum professionals, I think that was really striking for a lot of people, how many more sort of academic art people were here for the event. But, you know, the weather held out until the very end, until the monsoon or the typhoon rather, you know, made landfall. 
And I think people really enjoyed spending time here, in some cases for the first time. For myself, it was great to be able to see over 250 galleries in one place. Many Korean galleries had stands both at Kiev and at Freeze. So it was really exciting and really very interesting to be able to see everything all at once. And as for next year, yeah, I can only imagine it's going to be bigger and better. I'm not sure if the fair itself will expand to include more galleries, but certainly Freeze Art Week or Seoul Art Week or whatever we're going to call it is going to be a much, much bigger deal next year and really can't wait. Sounds like we should all be taking some Korean lessons in the meantime. Yeah, yeah. Learn uh, for sure. Well, thank you so much. This has been really enlightening. I hope you stay dry over there in the midst of the waning typhoon. And thank you so much for joining me on The Art Angle today. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks, Andy. That's it for this week's episode of The Art Angle. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Also, take a moment to rate and review us. It will help other listeners discover what we're doing. The Art Angle is produced by Sonia Manolini, Tim Schneider, and Caroline Goldstein. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.